Thank you for listening to the Something Significant Podcast brought to you by HappyLiving.com. Here at Happy Living, we're on a mission to improve the health and well-being of the world, one person at a time. Something Significant is the series where Mac Gersper, aka Mr. Happy Living, interviews ordinary people doing extraordinary work in the world. Here at Happy Living, we define significance as doing something you love and creating something of value to others. We believe the pursuit of significance is a foundation of health because it brings meaning, focus, and purpose to your life. Today, we are pleased to welcome Liz Nearswicki. Liz is a single mom, entrepreneur, author, and self-described life warrior. Her passion is helping others tune into their soul's purpose and wake up their inner god or goddess here on earth to experience massive joy, abundance, and peace. So Matt, take it away. Hey Liz, welcome to the Something Significant Podcast. For our first question, tell us a little about yourself and how you got where you are today. Okay. Um, through a lot of trial and errors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I um, I was the youngest of three children, and my mom was a single mom from the time I was born, basically. My father and my mom got divorced when I was um, one, and um, I was always, you know, I was the youngest, and I was kind of, you know, doing my own thing, and um, I would say when I was young, I was also very much a... Um, uh, I was on me <laughs> because I would, um, I, I mean, I get, you know, you find out later that you're a natural leader. And so when you're the youngest, you want to do everything that they can do. And sometimes you just can't yet, you know? And, yeah. um, my sister and brother oftentimes would just, you know, not want me around and, um, but although we all had a good relationship, it was just, you know, that's, I think, how older brothers and sisters are. Yeah. And I was, if I, you know, get my way, I would, I would figure out a way to get my way. <laughs> so oddly, and, and, and stubborn. Yeah, totally. And so, um, I, you know, I noticed that a lot of being the youngest was really a blessing because it helped me in my entrepreneurial skills of, drive and passion and really, really not taking no as an answer and um, not allowing other people to choose my reality. Mm -hmm. So that was, you know, I look back at that and I definitely think that's such a blessing that I was the youngest and I did have to fight for the things that I wanted because oftentimes, you know, the youngest doesn't get it. The bigger brothers and sisters Mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I look back and I, I have really great respect for my placement in the whole family. And so I I went to, when I was young, I was um, very much involved in sports, a lot of different sports from track to basketball to volleyball, um, a dance team in high school. And I was always really athletic and I loved, I loved it. You know, I really, I can look back and I see my brother and I doing crunches in this field across from our house and, and really going, what are we doing? Yeah. But it was something that, you know, was really instilled in me at a young age, probably because I had 
an older brother who was involved in sports. My sister wasn't, but my brother was. And I was on a swim team when I was younger, and I just really enjoyed that competitive aspect of sports. And throughout my you know, youth, I was involved in sports and really focused on doing well in school with my grades. And my mom would incentivize us with money for getting straight, straight A's. And so my brother and I would be in competition because my sister had already graduated high school and my brother and I would be in competition for this $500 if we got straight A's. And she said, look, if you both get it, then I'll give you both $500. But if only one of you get it, then there you go, it's yours. So, you know, we would just really, really try hard on getting straight A's and just doing really well in school and with our sports. And I really believe that that was a big driver for me for my you know, my business skills later on in life to have um, not only be passionate with my sports but also be driven to uh, have a a reward. You know, yeah. put the hard work in and you get that reward at the end of it. I think that's really important. And I went to um, I went to college and my, I initially wanted to be a doctor. I was going to be an eye doctor. So my pre-med was nutrition science. And I also did a psychology minor. And I was very interested in the psychology of the mind and why we do what we do. How does the mind work? And, you know, why do we make choices sometimes? And mm-hmm. why do... You know, why do people make stupid choices is really what I wanted to know. Like, what is going on with people? Why do we do this? So psychology was really something I studied just because I wanted to. And nutrition science I picked because it was, like, the closest thing to my liking for an undergrad um, pre-med. And um, I ended up falling in love with that when I was in it. And then I decided not to do, not to be a doctor. And I was at Indiana University, and I decided, because we have a very good business school at IU, to switch to the business school, because I thought, maybe I would want to have a business someday. Hmm. So I had to play catch-up. I switched to the business school, and I pretty much had to do summer school every year to just stay, um, you know, engaged and and also to catch up because I wanted to graduate on time with my class. Mm. And I went to, I studied international marketing. I chose marketing as my business uh, degree because I could have chose finance, computer science, marketing, accounting. Um, uh, I think that's it. And so I chose marketing. And the psychology and the marketing really played well together. Mm-hmm. And so I um, went to, I also wanted to travel abroad. So I went to Finland for international marketing. And that was funny because Finland was um, the last place I thought I would have ever wanted to go. And I really only had one choice. It was Finland or nowhere, you know, stay here. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll go to Finland. And <clears throat> it's funny because Finland you know, I went there in the summer and it was 24 hours of daylight when I was there. So yeah, it's, a, it's up there. such a weird thing. Yeah. And really quite fun and amazing. 
um, very different culture, very small town, no cars, people walked everywhere. Hmm. Uh, the people, only the people who had cars are people who were um, pretty wealthy or people who traveled a lot for their careers. Mm-hmm. And most people had bikes or they walked. And that was an eye-opener for me in terms of health because I had, when I was younger, um, and this is one of the reasons why I do what I do now, I had digestive issues and I suffered from mm-hmm. um, constipation quite regularly because my family had the standard American diet and we ate junk, you mm-hmm. know, we... My family grew up eating uh, low-fat foods and boxed food. And yep. My mom would cook occasionally, but not often because she was working full-time. Yeah. And so she would buy stuff and put it in the pantry, and we would eat a lot of that stuff, some mac and cheese and um, stuff that really wasn't healthy and nutritious for us. And when I was in Finland, I went to the bathroom one Literally, I went number two one time in an entire 12 weeks. And it was awful. I was jacked oh. up. Hmm. And, yeah, this was like the catalyst for my future fit- fitness business, really, um, and nutrition business, because I, I didn't know what to do. I was in a foreign country. I hmm. would just I would jog every day to try and move things along my system. Yeah. That didn't work. Um, and you know, there's, there's all these health remedies for constipation that actually do not work and they do not get to the root of the problem. And I tried pretty much every single one of them over the course of my lifetime. Well, a lot of that happened because in college I made stupid choices. I would go out with my friends and I would come home and I would take a Correctol at the end of the night after we ate pizza because I, that was my form of a bulimia, you know, like um, mm. getting rid of the food that I, I didn't like to throw up, so I figured I would just poop it out. Mm. <laughs> and this is what people do. Either girls throw up or they do something like that. Mm. So I um, took Correctol, and every morning I would go to the bathroom, and I was like, okay, it's gone, it's out of my system, and I would, you know, go work out or do whatever. And um, what happened because of that, and this is prior to me going to, to Finland because I went there between my junior and senior year in the summer. And I didn't take any pills with me and I just went. And well, what happened was doing that really ruined my bowel. It made it stop working because it, was, it didn't need to work anymore because it had a pill mm-hmm. doing, it, mm-hmm. doing it for it. So I couldn't go. It basically quit working. That sounds horrible. Yeah, and um, didn't know what to do. I had a lot of pain in my, uh, my like, right above my hip bone on the right side because I was probably just really, you know, compacted. And um, I would try to run every day in Finland, and nothing really helped. So I just started to eat very, very small amounts of food because mm. I didn't want to put anything more in my body. But when I came back to the United States, I went to the doctor, and he thought maybe I might have cancer or a blockage, and... So he's like, all right, well, we need to do this clearing out. And so he helped me do this, like, he's like, you got to do a top-down, bottom-up method of, you know, drinking a thing and then also doing an enema to clear you out. And so we did that. And then he was like, okay, well, you don't have any, you don't have blockage. You don't have cancer. So there's nothing blocking you. 
and because of what you did with the correcto, you basically have ruined your bowel, and it quit working because it didn't need to do its job anymore. Mm. And now what you have to do is retrain your bowel to work again. And I was like, oh, my gosh, and how do I do that? And he was like, okay, tons of water and tons of fiber. Mm-hmm. And he also, that helps me, but at that point in time, this was back in 1999, we did not know as much as we do now about the gut microbiome. Right. And so he, he also did not know about the gut microbiome. Right? I'm thinking, yeah, it was, uh, it was a new frontier. Right. Yeah. So hmm. that fiber and water helped me. So I went on a mission to look at all the foods that I could possibly have. You know, he's like, tons of vegetables, vegetables, vegetables. So I looked at the fiber in the vegetables, and I found that, you know, spinach was the best. Iceberg lettuce was a waste of time. <laughs> spinach lettuce was the absolute best. So I started adding spinach into my day, and that is what helped me to get my bowel working again, was mm-hmm. the spinach in the water. Mm-hmm. And I started working again. <laughs> Excuse me. That was the start of my... Focus on eating clean foods. Yep. You know, I studied nutrition science, so I was aware of how the body utilized the nutrients from the food, but I wasn't really particularly uh, 100% on a healthy path myself. You know, yeah. but this is what did it. This whole experience is what put me on a clean eating diet. Yep. So, um, you know, I went, uh, I graduated college, I got a job in the corporate world, and I worked for uh, 10 years in the corporate world, all the while, you know, doing my fitness uh, workouts on the side, because that never left my, you know, when you like fitness, you just do that. So I got a gym membership and all of that, kept doing all of that, Um, still was intermittently eating the standard American diet, like macaroni and cheese and, and, and uh, things like that, but not as much. I was much more clean eating with regular foods and real, real food. Yeah. And I didn't have um, a lot of passion for the, the jobs that I was in. I was selling Nextel phones, and although it was a nice sales career, I wasn't passionate about selling cell phones and I wanted to do something that I had passion around and that I loved waking up to every day. Yeah. And I, um, I actually ended up getting pregnant when I was 24. I was dating somebody and, um, this was a huge time in my life where, um, I, I became a Christian. I didn't really have a spiritual upbringing or any sort of religious upbringing. Um, I had some relationships, you know, growing up with boys and, um, but since I never had a dad in my home, I didn't really know how to accept love from a man. Mm-hmm. And so I always had challenges in relationships. And my senior year, my, I got engaged and my fiance ended up cheating on me. And so, we broke up, and I went my separate way. I moved to St. Louis and, um, you know, worked in the corporate world. And I met someone new and started a relationship, and I ended up getting pregnant. And I, he wanted me to have an abortion 
initially, and he pushed that upon me, and I, I thought about it because I, you know, we weren't married, and how old were you? Twenty-four. Twenty-four. Yeah, young, young. Yeah, and so I decided to. Um, I, I couldn't make a decision, and a lot was going on at that time. He was in the um, Air National Guard, my boyfriend, and 9-11 happened, so I thought I was pregnant in um, February of 2002, so not many months after 9-11. He got activated, and he left our town and went up to Duluth, Minnesota, so I was in our town in St. Louis by myself pregnant, and he was saying, you know, you really ought to have an abortion, I'm not going to be around, and I said... I don't know. I just don't know. I don't, there's a part of me that doesn't feel right about doing that. I'm 24. I have a job. Yeah. I could totally raise a kid. Like I'm not a child anymore. I mean, I'm young, but I'm not a child. Right. And so there was that part of me that just didn't feel right about the whole thing. So, um, this was, this was a big moment in my spiritual awakening. I, I would go to church every now and then. And the preacher one day said, you know, if you just have time to read one scripture in the morning, <clears throat> just do it. Because I promise you, the Holy Spirit that lives within you will bring that scripture back into your mind throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So this, I, I got pregnant and there was a one month time frame where I was really torturing myself trying to figure out, do I have the baby or do I not have the baby? Do I have the baby or do I not have the baby? And I woke up one morning before my alarm to a voice that said, read a scripture. Hmm. And I was like, whoa, that was weird. <clears throat> and I was like, okay, I'll do it. But I went and got ready. I took a shower. And, um, you know, that voice, that little reminder is very, very, very persistent. And this is the first time I had, really ever had anything like that. Like this internal nudging to do something. And I was washing my hair, and the voice said, read a scripture. And then I was going to eat breakfast, and I just kept putting it off and putting it off and not doing it. And I was eating breakfast, and once again, I was getting dressed, and that voice once again. And then I got all my stuff, I got my jacket, and got my briefcase, the Lisa work. I put my hand on the door, and it was like, read a scripture. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I put everything down, and I went back, and I grabbed this, this book that someone had given to me, um, with, you know, just scriptures pulled from the Bible. Mm -hmm. And I oh, just simply opened it up to one page, and I chose this one, and it said, from, For those who believe in me, from their belly shall flow rivers of living water. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it's like the world stopped. My mouth dropped, and I looked up, and I go, holy smokes, God! So, so let me ask you, question number three is, was there a specific moment or a situation when you became aware of those things that are most significant to you? That must have been, yeah. your, that must have been your moment. Right, definitely. That's incredible. Definitely. Yeah, and it's, it's a gift of my son. I mean, How old's your totally. Son? So your son must be like 14. 13. He's 13. 13. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so that's, yeah. that's really great. And, and so question number two is how has significant played a role in your journey? And you mentioned two things, I think, as, as I was listening to you. One is that you were not, um, as you said, you had no passion at work and you wanted to do something that you were passionate about. 
And then, of course, this entire uh, internal nudging that you just described is, is hugely significant. Uh, and just as a, as a clarification, when I use the word significant and we define it as happy living, um, my definition is doing something that's deeply important to you and that has value to others. Mm -hmm. So if, if I ask the question, how has significance played a role in your journey, how would you answer that? Um, let me think about that because it's a good question. Um, I find that for me, not doing what I was passionate about was painful yeah. and um, depressing. Yeah. And I would turn to things for comfort things like food or a relationship or even, um, I'm not a drinker, but I would have an alcohol or like a glass of wine or something like that, you know, mm -hmm. um, to satisfy these, just this internal pain that you have, you know, when you're just really not happy. And, and really, I, actually, a major turning point for me was long time after that, you know, I, was sing I had my baby, single mom, I moved home to be closer to my, my close family. Uh, I had a home built. I was working in the corporate world. Um, I actually chose a neighborhood. I had a home built for my son and I so that he would have a place to live in a good neighborhood. And I was making really good money doing what I, you know, was doing in the sales career. Um, I had a home and, you know, living the life of a single mom where you just do everything. And I had times where I was really, really stressed out and really um, just nervous about my life and sales. When you're in the sales career, you always have to be producing numbers. And that was really stressful. And being that I had a home and a, a lot of bills. And mm -hmm. I had um, lost my job from a company. This happened to me um, in 2008 when the market crashed. I lost my job. They eliminated a about 40% of their sales workforce. Mm -hmm. And I was so scared. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, having a home, being a single mom, and just so scared and so nervous. Um, I ended up finding another job. And so, but during those times, it's like, you're terrified, you know? Yes. Um, and you're really hustling, working so hard to just find another job. Anything will do, honestly, at that yeah. point in time. Yeah. And, um, so, but I, there were times during that whole phase of my, my time when it was around 2008 and 2009, where I couldn't sleep, I had insomnia, I was depressed, and um, I just was getting, I was gaining weight, I just wasn't taking care of myself, and I had a, t I had a day in the closet, I talked about, this was a really big training point for me where I was just getting too big for all my clothing and I was mad at myself for not taking care of myself and I was worried about my job and I was stressed out, you know, and so nervous and uh, I really just had this breakdown in my closet and I cried and it's, it was like a vision was shown to me um, and I now tr truly just, I know and utterly believe that our spirit is always talking to us. Mm -hmm. It's showing us visions, it's, 
it's giving us um, clues and, and energetic feelings about where we're headed that it's not correct. Mm-hmm. We need to choose another way. And a lot of times we just put the good things off. We put it off. And mm-hmm. um, discipline for those good things is it's so important to just stay disciplined in your good habits yeah. because it's really easy to put those things off. And um, my, it's like I'd say my spirit showed to me this downward spiral because I was internally cussing at myself, telling myself I was fat, ridiculous, things like that, and, you know, what really worried about my life. And it was just like my, my spirit flashed this downward spiral in my brain. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, this is where you're going with these thoughts. And if you don't change it, that's where you're headed. Mm-hmm. And so I sat with this vision for a moment. And I, I thanked it, and I prayed, and I said, I'm going to start doing some new things. And so that was a turning point for me in my life, to start pouring into myself, um, working out, eating the right food, um, without excuses. Like, so no excuses. I'm the only one who gets to make that choice. Yep. So the, the internal nudging you talked about spiritually, um, with the scripture, and I'm glad I got it recorded because I didn't write it down, but that amazing uh, line about the what love pouring from your belly, or uh, mm-hmm. that, that obviously was really huge. You also mentioned this, this um, pull to do something you're passionate about. Uh, was that kind of like a personal? You, you had the vision of the downward spiral, but the contrary of that would be, an internal nudging personally to do things that satisfy you. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. It was totally, it's time. It's Liz. It's time to start taking care of yourself. Yeah. It doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter that you're a single mom. The yeah. only one holding you back is you. It's time. Start putting in the work and make it happen. And that was really like that slap in the face moment of, but two completely contrasting things like woe is me or get to freaking work and start making this stuff happen. Only you get to do it. Yeah. So it was, it was a combination of doing something that satisfies you, but also just getting after it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you know, Liz, I just wrote a post. I think it comes out, uh, I don't know, in the next couple of weeks or so. Um, but it's about the, the phrase that people say, my pants don't fit me anymore. Like the pants mm-hmm. changed, right? The pants didn't change size. Uh, you don't fit your pants anymore. You said it that way. I, I, I heard you clearly say it that way. But that makes a huge difference in terms of responsibility. Who is responsible? Me or my right, pants. Exactly. And of course, yeah. it is personal responsibility that makes us uh, get where we get in life. Right, exactly. I love that. I love that. So that's awesome. So I think that gives me a lot to work on how significance played a role in your journey. I think you had this uh, two real, I I guess they're spiritual or, you know, energies that were speaking to you. One was more what we would consider more spiritual, the other more personal. Is that fair to say? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Was there a specific moment or situation or were there any others besides the... uh, the day at the door with the scripture? Well, I guess it was. It would be two. It would be the day in your closet. Yeah. Right? Well, I've had more. I've had more. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to share any others? Or? 
Um, uh, yeah, I can definitely. Um, you know, like, so once I got started on my, my fitness journey, once that day in my closet happened, everything changed. I, um, I made some three big choices to one was to do a fitness competition. And so that was my catalyst to start working out and eating really, really healthy. Mm-hmm. Number two was, all right, it's time for you to get serious about, um, you know, you want to be your own boss someday. So mm-hmm. what are you going to do? And I, and I was always working on the side after I would put my son to sleep and doing research, market research on what works and, I would look into uh, franchises, and um, then I also decided I would, I wanted to have a, a job on the side. I don't know how, I didn't know how I was going to do it as a single mom, but I thought I really enjoyed this yoga thing, and it was really helpful for my stress levels. I, I did a class, and I was completely different from before and after the class, and I thought, this is amazing. I want to know what this is all about. My mm-hmm. psychology came back in, my psychology of like, you know, the mind and how we, um, how we operate. And I, I saw this amazing thing that had happened in the class where I went from like stressed out to just beyond like floating once I came out of the class. And I thought there's something real about this. So I wanted to know the science, why it did that. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to become a yoga teacher. And it all kind of came together when I was in my teacher training. Like, my town does not, it's a smaller town. I live in Mishawaka, Indiana. And we don't, we didn't have any major yoga studios yet. And yoga was becoming the new thing. So it just hit me, you know, I think this is the thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I started to put, you know, the work into building my studio. And uh, the job that I was in at the time, once again, uh, I got, um, they, uh, they had a reduction in force. They cut my position. So it was like, all right, well, here's the universe basically saying, here you go. It's time for you to do this. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I liked that job, so I probably wouldn't have done it, you know. Um, so I started my business, and I opened my door in my yoga studio in um, January 2011, and it's been going ever since. January 2011. So that's great, Liz. That's, uh, you're at five years, more than five years. But yeah. Most businesses don't make it that long. You know that. Right. Yep, exactly. And I'm proud of that because we are in a smaller town and, you know, it's, um, it is tough. It's really, really hard, you know, uh, to run a brick and mortar. What are you, you're in Indiana? Mm-hmm. Uh, you wouldn't happen to know a lady named, uh, Katria Eichelman? No. Uh, she was a big Pilates. She had a uh, Pilates studio. I'm not sure exactly where in Indiana she was. Okay, well, that's, that's awesome. So let me ask you this. Regarding um, question two, how significant played a role? I think significant played a role. It seems to me that there's quite a few tracks. Uh, motherhood, right? Mm-hmm. Business ownership. Right. You felt you had some inside desire that you were going to be your own boss. The whole uh, fitness, health, yoga, nutrition, fix your mind, that whole personal health, right? Right. Uh, Christianity? Yeah, I I would say that uh, initially, yeah. I, I I, I don't like to call it religion, honestly. I'm not... 
I believe in Christianity. I believe that Jesus. Uh, Would you like to? And everything about Jesus. I believe Jesus is our our Savior, and that. Um, um, but I also have a different view now because of another spiritual happening. <laughs> okay. Um. So, yeah, you asked about this one. Um. I, you know, from childhood, you know, not having a father around, relationships were always something I read books on, you know, how to have a great relationship. Yeah. And I can't tell you, I probably read more books on relationships than most therapists. (laughs) (laughs) And because I didn't have it modeled for me. Right. So I'm a learner. I'm a I'm a person who likes to educate myself, and I wanted to learn and read. How do you do it? You know, how do you make it happen? And there was always something inside of me that did not feel right in a relationship. Always, when I would get into a relationship, I was I felt it didn't feel right. There was nothing comfortable to me about being in relationships. Mm-hmm. And I always w- thought there was something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Why can't I do it, you know? How come other people can do it, but I can't? And so in 2011, no, I'm sorry, 2013, I was going through another breakup. And I was like, what the heck? There's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm the common denominator here. So clearly it's me. So, you know, it's finally once, you know, we like to play victim and put it off on everyone else. It's that person's fault. They did this to me. Right. And I I realized I can't do that anymore. I'm, you know, however old I was, what, 35 at the time. And I was like, I can't do that. I'm the common denominator. I have to figure out why I am unable to be in a relationship. Do I just simply deep down not want it? Mm -hmm. Or is there something wrong with me that needs to be fixed? Mm -hmm. Or am I choosing the wrong guys? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, because you you hear that with people who have, like, no dad in the house, they've got daddy issues, and they pick the wrong guy. Yeah. Until they fix that issue, and then maybe someday they pick the right guy. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I, I read two years about this stuff, and I decided. Well, what happened was I was crying in the car one day. I was crying. I just left my mom and her husband, and they have a cute relationship. They're they're in their late sixties, and I love them, and they have a lot of fun together. And I went and hung out with them, and um, I left them being depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and crying like, oh, God, I just want um, a relationship like that. You know, I, I want that in my life. I want someone that I can have fun with and, and feel comfortable around and trust. And um, I was in the car and I was crying and I was praying those words, you know, and I said these words. I said, God, please send me someone to love. I have so much love to give and I just want to give it to someone. And I tell you what, it's like God was sitting next to me once again, and this hadn't happened to me in a very long time. Honestly, since that day in my bathroom when I decided to keep my baby, it's like God was sitting next to me, and God said, 
and it's pretty comical because I said, please send me some of the love. I want, I have so much love to give and I want to give it to someone. And this is what I heard. No, you need to love yourself. And I was like, I stopped crying and I was like, whoa, whoa, hello. (laughs) And then I started to be a doer like I am a type A. I'm a doer. I started to pray and talk again. And I was like, okay, so I need to love myself. I've heard that before. I need to love myself and work out. And maybe I need to go to church more. Maybe I need to do this more. Hmm. And it's like, once again, those words came back and, and it said, no, I am you. You need to learn that and then love yourself. Hmm. And I was like, I was floored. I was quiet after that. Because I was like, wait a second. I am you. I am you. I am you. God just, that voice inside of me, if it's God, if it's my soul, if it's whatever, Mm -hmm. said, I am you. Mm -hmm. And so I started to think about all these Christians like Jesus and Buddha and yoga sages that are like, no, no, the divine is in you. It's, right. it's you. Right. It is, and if you don't get that, yeah. then you're going to be searching elsewhere for this love. Yeah. And so I was like, I decided in that moment to take a full year off of romantic dating, romantic mm. relationships, mm. to, to read spiritual books, to dive into this idea that I am you. Mm-hmm. And um, I did. It took a whole year off, and it was really the best thing I ever did. It, it changed me. It changed my mind. It changed what I turned to for comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one. It was literally the best thing I ever did, because now my view on relationships is so different. It's not about, and, and, and I had an epiphany in my house one day where I just fell to my knees and cried because I realized that there's nothing wrong with me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And um, for all of those years that I was reading those books on how to fix myself or how to make myself a perfect mate, yeah. you know, it's like there was never anything wrong with me. It, yeah. it was like during that one year, I looked back at my whole entire life and I realized that the path that had, I had been down was there to teach me, look, you didn't have a dad in the home. You were not shown love. So how could you ever have known how to receive it mm-hmm. and, and, and or give it back in a way that was um, a male-female masculine feminine relationship needs to work yeah you know and it was like there's nothing wrong with you you just didn't know how right and that was such a great awakening for me wow you're going to make my job very very difficult Liz I'm sorry. I have to to put this in a nice type uh, 7800 word post. Um, This is really, really good. Uh, People are going to, I think, really be inspired by your story. Um, So one of the questions is what obstacles have you faced in the pursuit of significance? And uh, certainly you've got a whole bunch, the obstacle of of, um, getting pregnant and making that decision. 
the obstacle of being fired and as a single mom with a big mortgage, et cetera. Um, the obstacle of uh, being raised by, you know, without a, a dad in the house, and now you're doing that again, right? You're, uh, you're still a single mom, I think, correct? Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah so you're, you're a, uh, I wrote down uh, a single mom of a single mom. That certainly is a, has challenges. What, what would you say, how have you, how have you overcome them? Has it been, has it been this inside spiritual voice? That has been your, did you see them as challenges or how do you, how would you answer that question? What obstacles have you faced in pursuit of what you want in life, your significance, and how did you overcome them? Um, yeah, many, many, like all those, a lot of times it's, those obstacles are um, mental. Mm-hmm. They are. And mm-hmm. yeah. It's all really mental. It's how you view the world. It's playing the victim mode. I, I'm, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I think the most powerful thing about being a single mom or a single parent is that you have no other choice but to take action. It's yeah. it's all on you. Yeah. So in a in a partnership, I might have you know put my responsibility or, or blamed my partner and said, "Hey, I need yeah. you to do this for me," but in a single parent home, you're the one who has to make the choices and you're the one who has to take action. Yeah. So it truly was always about taking action. Okay. Uh, I think I understand that. Then another concept I recently wrote about that matches that. Have you heard the phrase burn the boats? Mm-mm. Let me just quickly share this with you. It had to do, I might not get the history exactly right, but um, back before the United States had been uh, uh, discovered, um, one a European explorer went to uh, down to South America uh, to try to take all the gold that the Aztecs had, and many many explorers had tried to do this before and all failed. And so what this guy did, he went down with only uh, a couple hundred people, and uh, the the civilization that he was attempting to attack was many many hundreds of thousands huge, and so they were really outmatched. And when the, when the commander landed his ships on the, uh, on the shores, before attacking, the story is that he spent two or three days uh, inspiring his men to what their task was and how they're going to do this and how they could be successful. And then right before he led them into battle, he said, burn the boats. So that there was no, they were either going to go and die or they're going to go and be successful, but they were not going back to their life as it was. And that reminded oh, yeah. me when you're talking about being a single parent, it doesn't matter. You can't, you just must go forward, right? Otherwise, uh, because there's no one else to look to. And that's how these guys were. Right. Yeah. 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 You you gotta, <laughs> you gotta make the choice. Like, um, I, I found that many times, and it's easy to see that when, for example, I would get into a relationship and I would put a lot of responsibility onto my partner. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I would see it. I would see it, but I would still do it anyways, I think. And that's a big, for me, that was a big lesson in when, when I started meditating in my one year of not dating. That was my year of meditation where my meditation practice got really, really strong. And I started to see where ego played out mm-hmm. big time. Mm-hmm. And how the ego likes to, you know, 
make you the victim, build you up, but also make you the victim. And, um, and I, you know, I, I look at myself and when I was single and really, I like to, I like to use the word dominate when I was single and I was dominating my life and then I would get into a relationship and I would put a lot of expectations on someone else to do mm-hmm. something for me. Mm-hmm. And I noticed the big difference in that. I was like, well, that can't happen. Right. And a lot of eye opening happened in my meditations and just really getting real with myself. Like, you have to look at that. You have to shine the light on that stuff. Otherwise, you don't learn from it. Yeah, yeah, you got it right. Okay, um, much sim- maybe much simpler. What's one thing you wish you knew ten years ago? Oh, boy. <laughs> um. how hard the internet business is. That's <laughs> <laughs> definitely for sure. Uh, uh, yeah. I would say, uh, gosh, there's so many. I don't have that one big screaming thing. Yeah. Well, you mentioned how yeah. hard business is, and I think that's been in my experience, too. It is, it's really hard to create something from nothing. And yeah. it, it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of failure and, uh, you know, hopefully enough success to keep you moving along. Um, right. So that's a good one. So what, any others come to mind? Um, I would say, um, uh, I wish I was known more about my spiritual practice 10 years ago. Mm. Great. Because... I have so much more peace now. Yeah. And my son would have been younger and I would have had that young, a younger age for him. Yeah. That's great. Okay. Uh, I didn't even tell you this part of my story. Oh, but when my son was, go ahead. when my son was 10, I let him go live with his dad. So he's been with his dad for four years. Oh, okay. So he's coming back for eighth grade, but we wanted to co-parent. Yeah. And he, he lived with his dad for four years. How so has years, so. that worked out? Has it been good? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And okay. I see him once a month now for the last four years. So oh, between the ages of 10 and, well, he's 13, so he'll come back here this, so not four years, three years, three and a half. But he'll be, he'll be, well, he'll, he will have been down there for three years. Wow. And that allowed me some space to, you know, start my second business. Okay. What was the primary uh, uh, reason for that decision? His dad asked me. Okay. And I couldn't say no, you know. Did, was, did the fact that you uh, grew up without a dad, did that weigh heavily on that decision? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Both of us. Him and my, his dad and myself. We both did not have dad. Oh, yeah, we right. both knew, yeah, we both knew the impact that that had on us. Yeah, yeah. And we did not want that for our son. Oh, that's awesome. So he asked me, and I was like, oh, my God. How can I? <laughs> because we then lived six and a half hours apart. Yeah, goodness. And so I had to really, oh, that 
was the hardest thing I ever did. That was harder than starting a business, and that's hard. Mm-hmm. You know that. Mm-hmm. Just looking at my son every day, knowing for two months that he was going to go live six and a half hours away, it, it just tore me up. Uh, it must have, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I have incredible admiration for um, single moms, uh, so much so that I married one when she was, uh, well, it was about nine years ago, and uh, she had lost her husband and was raising a, a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And oh, wow. uh, I found her online, and we fell in love and got married, and I was even able to adopt the kids. So, but, oh, that's great. But the respect I had for what she did when she was a single, it's just, it just incredible, the, the demands that are, all of the, not just the demands, but just all the stress and the worry and, um, oh, and the amount of work. Uh, it's incredible. So, um, well, question six, what's one hope you have for the next 10 years? Um, let's see here. One hope that I have for the next 10 years is I would like to become a more well-known author. I, I definitely want to spread the light of what I have learned spiritually and with personal empowerment. I want to spread that throughout the world. And really, I would like to focus on um, people who have grown up in single-parent homes and are working in the corporate world or they're working in jobs that maybe they don't necessarily love. And I want to empower them to see beyond that, you know, and to, mm-hmm. see, to really go into their heart and their passion and realize that they really truly can start walking that path down to the, towards their goals and their dreams and whatever their dream may be, mm-hmm. that it's in them for a reason. And that's really where their happiness is going to lie is when they follow yep. that yep. and they, um, you know, because it's, it really is, we have to, we have to make money yep. and we, we have to, you know, I really believe that our happiness trumps our money, but they're both important. I yep. don't, I'm not going to say that I want to be <laughs> making little amounts of money while I'm following my passion. Heck no, I want to have abundance. I want to have massive abundance. But I'm not. I'm not. I'm I'm making less than I did when I worked in the corporate world. But I wake up with passion and freedom every day. Yep. And And that to me is everything. Yep. I I think that's right. My next book hasn't quite, uh, it's going to be published uh, in April. Um, It's called Turning Inspiration into Action. And it's exactly what you're talking about. It's, it's really about listening to uh, setting your priorities about what's really important to you in your life, um, choosing to do those things that touch your heart. And then once you figure what that is, like for you, opening your yoga studio or whatever, then just getting to work. And when you do those three things, you evoke three powers, the power of priority, the power of the heart, and the power of the universe. 
and that gives you that gives you all the strength you need to overcome what we call the, the gravity of negative forces holding your life in place, which could be, you know, uh, procrastination, self-doubt, cultural expectation, all, all that stuff that prevents people from doing what they know, if they listen, what they know they really want to do. Mm, yeah. And, and Great, I like that. You reminded me of a quote when you talked about you want to be more well-known and spread the light. And if I haven't used this quote, I'll probably use it for your post. People who live in darkness need the light that you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's true. You know, and I have a book, a spiritual book called The Course in Miracles. And it says that we, and I write about this in my book. And everything came together in that one year, like meditation and then the neuroscience of meditation yeah. and then spirituality talking about how we're either asleep or awake. Yeah. And the neuroscience of the brain says that it's the same thing. You're either asleep or you're awake. You're either yeah. on autopilot or you're conscious in the present moment. Yeah. And spiritual books say that exact same thing. You're either asleep, yeah. you're delusional, yeah. or you're awake in your spirit and you're in the moment. Yeah. And when you're in the moment, I truly believe that's when you're in your spirit. Like when you're, in, when you're actually fully conscious yeah. and you're present, you're more in your spirit at that point in time than you are in your ego. Yeah. Oh, great stuff. Great stuff. One, one more question. Are there sure. any books or resources that you'd like to recommend to our readers? And maybe you just mentioned one, the spiritual book, but I won't answer the question. Mine. <laughs> happy healthy fit. I'm gonna I'm gonna yes. I'm gonna push happy healthy fit on question six. Um, okay. and, and elsewhere like in your intro so it doesn't sound self serving. And sure. that way your your number seven can be sort of resources other than yours that have helped you. Yeah. Well, I have two that I love. Okay. But I'd say if I have to pick one No, you don't I what? You don't want, you don't need one. Just books or resources, however many you have, would be fine. Okay, good. Um, I love the book series called Conversations with God. It was such an empowering book for me at that point in my life. Yeah. It was all about, look, you are the master of your ship. Yeah. And you can't ask for what you want, you have to create it. You are a creator. God made you just like, you know, we, it says that you're made in God's image. The Bible says that, yep. but churches have a tendency to say, ask and you'll receive. And so it's putting the power outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. instead of saying, I mm-hmm. claim this, I am this, I can create this. Yep. You can still ask her what you want, but um, you can ask till you're blue in the face. You must uh, claim it and take action, and then the universe begins to align for you. Yep, I agree. And and that's the Conversations with God book. It was really an eye-opening, eye-opening book for um, our own self-power and that um, God is alive in us as us, and that's what I took from that book. And then the course in miracles, it's called A Course in Miracles. A Course in Miracles. And this, yeah, A Course in Miracles. And okay. this one is all about recognizing the ego and the spirit within. Okay, great. 
ego versus spirit. Uh, you made me think of, of this twice. I mean, you just talked about conversation with God. One of the things that had a really huge spiritual impact on me was maybe four years, five years ago, I heard the phrase, you are magnificence in human form. Mm, I love that. Yeah, and I, I thought about it, and it felt, I really struggled with it for a long time because it felt so egotistical. How can I be magnificence? But if, right. we, if we are made in God's image or whatever you're, you know, the, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Tao, and it's, it's all, so much of it is, is the same thing repeated in different ways. Um, I think we really do have, and that's, that's what my next book is about, we have these powers inside us. And when we get quiet and when we get real and when we get out of our head and into our heart, we can create so much power that uh, it, it almost seems like um, life is easy. And in mm-hmm. fact, that's how it's supposed to be because most of the time when our life is hard, it's because we're living up in our head and we're not living in the moment and we want something to be different than it is today, which of course it can't be different than it is today. Uh, so that, that was my big one was you are magnificent in human form. It took me at least two years before I could actually let myself think that way about myself. Uh, oh my gosh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. And I have two things to say about that. First, it's not about you. <laughs> and we have a tendency to, to have guilt and shame around our own magnificence. But, but um, yeah, that was, my, that was my head worried about what it meant yeah. and what I, meant, what I looked like to others if I believe that, rather than just right. being in my spirit, which you're just shine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. But I totally understand where you're at because I've been, I'm, I'm working on another book series and an online course for, um, uh, and this, I don't want to put this out there yet, but it's about like owning the God or goddess that you are. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, when I, when I kept working on the goddess theme, I was like, oh man, people are going to be like, who does she think she is? Yep. You know? Mm-hmm. And I had this moment where my spirit said to me, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. It's not about you. It's about what your message is going to do. Yeah. And, um, and it took me time to get over that and to accept that message from yeah. my spirit that it's not about me. And then I got to a point where I was like, I don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that's great to be that a totally other place, you know, where you're like, okay, now I have comfort, but I can get this message out. Yeah. And that's, it's so needed. Well, awesome. Well, I've taken an hour of your time. You are an incredible woman. Uh, it's really been fun getting to know you a little bit and you've given me a lot of work here. Uh, any, <laughs> any final thoughts or comments before I get busy? Um, no, really. I mean, I think I said it all. I had, I had, uh, I had one thing, but I just, I know I just said I have two things that slipped my mind, but I don't yeah. know the other one. It was, <laughs> I don't remember. I said, uh, I struggled with magnificence in human form, and you said you had two oh, things. Oh, yes. One is not okay. about men. Yeah, so that's the first thing, but the Course in Miracles, <clears throat> the book, it talks about, same thing, how we are, we are God. We are God. God and our brothers and our sisters around us, if we do not forgive them, and that's where Jesus comes into play. Mm-hmm. Jesus forgave. Jesus said, you know, forgive your brothers and sisters. They know not what they do. And I like to go on with that and say, 
they're asleep. They don't know their spirit. They're right. living in their ego most of the time. Yeah. And there's a phrase, like you just said, about magnificence that I thought about even getting tattooed on my arm. Hmm. And it's this phrase. It's, a, it's from your grandeur, you can only bless. Because you are God and you can only bless people. That alone is your purpose. It's yeah. not judgment. It's not um, attack. It's not separation. Yeah. It's literally knowing who you are and knowing that from that place, yeah. the only thing that you have to do is bless. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. So you reminded me of a book that I'm going to recommend to you. Uh, it's called Power Versus Force. Mm. It's, inc- it. it's okay. incredible. And you just made me think about, so this guy, I forget his name, David, David Hawkins, I think. Um, he has uh, done uh, scientific studies about different levels of consciousness. Mm. And, and when we, uh, he finally helped me to understand this idea that there is no one truth. The way you see the world, the way I see the world, if I'm having trouble with a coworker, or you said, you know, um, you might have somebody who is asleep, right? They don't, mm-hmm. they, it's not that they don't know better. It's that they actually are experiencing the world in a really different way. And mm-hmm. that if you're, there's a, there's a midpoint line in power versus force, and he has a gradation of about 13 levels of, of power from, uh, you know, complete and utter despair and, and uh, negativity at the bottom to full enlightenment at the top. And uh, until you're about halfway up, the entire world you view has a negative force that it imposes on you. And when you cross that level uh, in from negative to positive, you move from the world, seeing the world as a place of meanness and where, where force is put on you to a world that's empowering. And the higher you go up the ladder, you know, the, the more you change your, your worldview and the more power you have uh, to do things. And um, when I, reading through that book, it was the first time that really helped me understand how conflict can happen. Because the person you're having conflict with not only has their own perspective, but they also might have a completely different worldview based on their level of consciousness being higher or lower than yours. Mm-hmm. I like that. That was awesome. Very cool. All right, Liz. Well, you you uh, you made my day. It was great listening to your story, and uh, you've inspired me. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me on, and it was nice talking. And I appreciate you. Thanks, Liz. Take care. You too. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed today's interview with Liz Nearswicky. If you liked today's interview, you'll love being a part of the Happy Living community. To join us, just go to happyliving.com. Benefits include a free Happy Living book, inspiring blog posts delivered straight to your inbox, and special offers exclusive to the Happy Living community. It's all free, so come on and join our mission to improve the health and well-being of the world one person at a time.